Good evening, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners, and welcome to a Thursday edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. Now, I'm not Matt Matera. Uh, this is Adam Slavon, and joined with me today is the wonderful Josh Capo. Josh, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, Adam. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be on here with you. And it's my first time hosting the show and great to have somebody on with me. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to do a great job, buddy. So, uh, yeah, no, it's a really great day. We are one week out from round one of the 2023 NFL draft. And I believe that's really all any Bucks fans can think about, right? That is the talk on Twitter at the moment. Yeah, and some pretty big news came out earlier today regarding uh, a running back that had a top 30 visit. He, I think you broke the news. Yeah, yeah, the running back, right? So, uh, consensus number one running back in this draft. I mean, it, it's him and then it's everyone else. And that, of course, is Bijan Robinson from, uh, from the University of Texas. Uh, very much considered to be one of the top three players, regardless of position, in this draft. Of course, once you consider his position, that being running back and, and it being a bit of a devalued position, you really talk about him most likely not going in the top five, right? Most likely not going in the top 10, being a realistic option for the Bucks at 19. And so with that, it makes kind of some sense that the Bucks hosted him on a top 30 visit. Interestingly enough, only two teams hosted the number one yeah. running back in the draft, uh, and, that, and that was besides just the Bucks, it was the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. So some some really big uh, news. I think that makes Bijan the fourth running back that visited the Bucks for a top thirty uh, visit. Um, along with him, there was fellow Texas Longhorn Roshan Johnson, um, Chase Brown from the University of Illinois, and uh, Jameer Gibbs from the University of Alabama. And uh, all four of those very talented in their own rights, uh, Bijan and Gibbs kind of won two on most people's draft boards at that position. And then Chase Brown and, and uh, Roshan, both very talented. Both guys probably set to go most likely day two for both of them. So looks like the Bucks really have running back kind of as a higher priority on their, uh, on their draft needs. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get into some of the offensive linemen, but just to bring up the point, you mentioned only two teams, the Eagles and the Bucks, met with Bijan Robinson. Now the Eagles are in a position where they could take a guy like Bijan Robinson, uh, made the Super Bowl last year, obviously have a great offensive line, and the running back position would be more of a luxury pick. And with how many needs the Bucks have, that's maybe not the position that they're in. Yeah, it's really interesting. You see a lot of discourse on Twitter over that very fact. I think I'm on record as saying. I believe Bijan should be a first-round pick, right? Yeah. And I think Philly, you brought them up, perfect example of a team that can take, you know, kind of a chance on him in the teens um, because they've got more of a completed roster. From where the Bucks are from a roster standpoint and a roster building standpoint, I would say if I were in that draft room, I probably wouldn't be pounding the table for Bijan. If the Bucks end up taking him at 19, I totally understand the thought process. He's one of the few blue chip guys on my individual board and on most people's boards for, for this draft. There just aren't a lot of blue chip guys. So when you say, well, 
picking at 19 and we got one of the top three players in the draft, okay, that makes sense to a certain degree. With that said, and I think this kind of will lead into a lot of what we're talking about later tonight, right, in terms of our topic for the night, um, a running back to a certain degree is only as good as the blocking up front, right? So to get the most out of a first-round running back like Bijan, you really need to have a strong line in front of him that can give him the holes to take advantage of and really maximize the value of that position. I don't know if the Bucks are quite there from a roster building standpoint. I could see a lot of other teams that could do a lot with Bijan. I don't know if it's the best fit for the Bucks, especially with some other glaring needs that they have. Definitely. And so you mentioned not being in a position. What they are in a position to get is some offensive line help. And two of the biggest um, guys at the position, they're looking mainly at tackle. And you have a couple options that are intriguing. You have Darnell Wright out of Tennessee at right tackle and Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma at left tackle. Uh, you did the preview today. Awesome work on the offensive tackles. Yep. And that seems to be the position that the Bucks are leaning towards in the first round. Whether it's one of those guys, if they trade up, if somebody falls, maybe a Broderick Jones out of Georgia, really athletic. It it seems like that's the direction in the first round that the Bucks are taking. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think there's kind of a big four in terms of offensive tackles. Some people would say a big five that could go in the first round. And we'll talk a little bit more about them. But before we do, I'd like to tell everybody, you know, it's seven, a little after seven o'clock tonight. Um, depending on how big of a day you've had, you may be dragging. And a great way to give yourself a little boost of energy to help you get through the rest of the night would be with our friends over at Celsius. Celsius is the official energy drink of Peter Report. You want to know what makes Celsius amazing? Two things, folks. The taste and the fact that there's no sugar, which means there is no sugar crash. Celsius just introduced its newest flavor, which is Sparkling Oasis Vibe, which is a prickly pear and lime flavored. Oasis Vibe is sold exclusively at Target. Want to try a Celsius? Go to Celsius.com and click on the store locator, punch in your address, and when you find the flavors you like, head on over to Amazon and order them with the subscribe and save feature save money and have celsius delivered right to your home celsius the official energy drink of pewter report and i can tell you i literally just tried the oasis vibe for the first time today i went out and got me one as soon as i heard about this one and it tastes absolutely amazing now yeah pewter report readers listeners viewers they know i am a peach vibe guy i, I tweet about it all the time i talk about it here on the podcast it is my number one draft pick for me and you know what? Oasis Vibe may become that new number one draft pick for me. It really does taste fantastic. And be sure to check out the Pewter Report Twitter. Uh, we have a poll going on kind of like a bracket style with the Celsius flavors yep. going round by round and determining what your favorite Celsius flavor is. So definitely be sure to check them out. And if you go to Target, be sure to check out the Oasis Vibe. Absolutely. So we were talking a little bit about where the Bucks might be targeting for their first round pick at number 19. There is kind of a glaring need at offensive tackle, right? Um, last year's starting left tackle, Donovan Smith, he was released at the beginning of, of the new league year. Uh, last year's starting right tackle, Tristan Wirfs, right? Um, we just had him as part of media availability earlier this week. 
and he admitted that he's right now at this point he's uh, working out at both right tackle and left tackle. He's taking reps both places. He's preparing to potentially move to the left side of the line. Now he's not fully moved over there. He's saying he's taking it both, and I think a lot of that comes down to who the Bucks may draft here in just over a week. And um, there are you know kind of four offensive tackles, five, maybe six, right? Depends on how people view Peter Skaronsky, um, who I would say is probably the consensus number one offensive lineman in the draft. But a bit shorter arms for Skaronsky. Uh, there's a good chance that he might kick inside to guard, um, depending on how the team that drafts him views him. And there's a good chance that Skaronsky won't be on the board at 19. So once you go past Skaronsky, you've got guys like Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State, probably the number one true tackle. Um, Broderick Jones from Georgia. Both of those guys play on the left side, as does Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, right? And then you've got one other guy kind of in that top tier, and he's really been moving up the boards, and that's Darnell Wright uh, from Tennessee. Now, Wright played left tackle two years ago, played right tackle the year before that, played right tackle this past year. His tape is better at right tackle, and I'm very, I'm choosing my words very carefully because we all know what happens when you tell the world that Darnell Wright is exclusively a right tackle. He comes for you in your DM mentions and, and in your your DMs. Period. Yep. Right. So, but um, but his best tape has been at right tackle. He seems to be a little bit more natural at that size. Uh, that side. There is a good chance that at least one of those players is going to be available at 19. All of them are fantastic talents. Okay, I would say all of them, first round grades for me. So then the question becomes, which one's available? And based on which one that is available, I think that's where you get your answer for Tristan Wirfs, right? If it's right, Wirfs probably moves to the left side because right is more of a natural right tackle. And I think there's more faith from the Bucks organization having had Wirfs around for the last three years, showing that he can play at an elite level, that he can make that transition probably a little bit more easily. But if it's any of the other three, you know, Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, or Anton Harrison, all guys who played basically exclusively on the left side, then I think Tristan Wirfs probably stays at the right side for the Bucks. And now you've solidified kind of three spots on the offensive line, your tackle positions, as well as the center with Ryan Jensen. And now you've got a bunch of guys in the mix for both guards guard positions yeah so definitely taking like a tackle in the first round like you mentioned those guys like being on the board as potential options now one point you mentioned was kind of like solidifying three spots because yep. there isn't really you have jensen you have worse and then who else and worse you don't know if he's going to be at the left tackle or the right tackle so you really have to in the nfl draft narrow that down rather quickly. So if you get another tackle, you secure both of those spots, you have a center, and now it's just determining who the left guard and right guard is gonna be. And honestly, there's a lot of really good options for the Bucks from a youth youth standpoint. They moved on from Shaq Mason, kind of saved some money there, but they brought back Aaron Stinney, uh, right guard during the team Super Bowl run. And if it wasn't for his injury last season, you can make the argument that he was going to start the season maybe at left guard and winning that competition. So you bring him back. You have Luke Gedeke, Nick Leverett, and you have to put Robert Hainsey somewhere in that mix as well now that Ryan Jensen's going to be back. Now, Robert Hainsey, really versatile guy. 
he played right tackle in college, and then he made the transition from being a tackle to playing center last last year. And he also can play guard, so you can really slot him any, anywhere in that mix. So getting a tackle, it's going to be important and a priority for the team, and it all depends who that's going to be. And if they like somebody enough, would they maybe 2020, they traded up a spot, got Tristan Wirfs, that worked out pretty well. Would they do that again if they had a guy high on their board and he fell pretty close to their range? Yeah, I think you brought up a great point, and it kind of dovetails really well with uh, what David Melnick says right here, which is expect the Bucks to trade if offensive linemen come sooner than expected. And I think that, that there are a lot of things that kind of go into play there. Number one, like you said, there's the need. Offensive tackle is a huge need for the Bucks right now, unless they're much higher on your boy, the guy you can't write enough about, which is Luke Gedeke. Um, if they're high on Gedeke and they think he can make that transition to the right tackle position, then maybe they skip, you know, um, offensive tackle at 19. Maybe Bijan becomes a, a, a target for them there. I don't necessarily see that being the case. Now, then it comes down to, is there an, a run on offensive linemen before the Bucks think that, you know, to the point where they don't think one of those guys is going to get to them? Because after that tier, the next kind of tier for offensive tackle is Dewan Jones, the right tackle out of Ohio State. His draft stock rose a lot from the uh, prior to the se like senior bowl on, right? The senior bowl is really kind of where he flashed huge in first practice. And then he was like, I did everything I needed to do. I'm done. There were you know some talks about an, a, a phantom in injury and whatnot. Um, but he basically solidified his draft stock there, and it's been going up ever since. Now there's a bunch of talkers, whether he's first rounder or second rounder, but I think most people comfortably have him in a tier below those guys. So if that's the case and all those other guys are gone, now you're talking about, are you getting good value for Dewan Jones at 19 or like a Matthew Bergeron, who I personally see more as an interior offensive lineman. So if there starts to be a run on those offensive tackles, kind of going back to what uh, David had said, the Bucks could be a potential trade up you know, the last time, to what you mentioned earlier, that they did that was in 2020. In the first round, they traded up one spot to make sure they secured Tristan Wirfs. That worked out beautifully for them. I think in this draft, you're going to see a lot of teams wanting to move down. Very few teams necessarily wanting to move up. That could bode well for Bucks GM Jason Light in that he wouldn't necessarily have to give up as much draft capital as normally what he would have to give up because there are fewer teams willing to make that move. So he could potentially move up a few spots, make sure he secures one of those tackles. And then really the question comes down to, and I think it'll be really interesting, do the Bucks view all of these tackles kind of in the same bucket, right? For me, I think I've got Paris Johnson kind of above the other three. Then there's kind of a tier for Broderick. And then for me, I have Darnell Wright and Anton Harrison very close to each other. That's just me personally. Bucks could have it in a much different way. They could have one guy that they see much higher than the others. And if that guy starts to slide down into the 12, 13, 14 range, it would not surprise me if Jason Light made that move, if he saw that player as clearly above the other dudes. So it's going to make for a very interesting kind of draft story. For sure. And uh, Al Bundy also pointed out Matt Filer. Now, 
another depth option, either at guard or tackle. Now he hasn't played tackle since, I believe, 2019 when he was with the Steelers. Yeah, he had one snap in 2020 at at right tackle. So if you want to consider that, then it's 2020. But yeah, he hasn't played there extensively since 2019. He's been more of a left guard during his, what was it, three years with the Chargers? Yeah. Yeah, but another guy with experience, 73 career starts and just kind of another guy to add to the mix with experience because it's very crucial. And now you mentioned like some of the tackles in the tier below uh, Paris Johnson out of Ohio yep. State, and you brought up Dewan Jones. Now Jones, he was very impressive during the Senior Bowl, but the big concern with him and maybe some of the other offensive line targets would be the speed and playing in more of a wide zone scheme. You made an article when Dave Canales was hired, kind of breaking down what that means. And having agile offensive linemen would be key to that. And for that reason, like Darnell Wright, he has enough functional athleticism to play right tackle. Anton Harrison, really young, younger than me. Uh, He just turned 21 and he's very raw, but you can develop him and mold him at the left at the left side the blind side and Roderick Jones he ran a 4.97 which was the highest in the NFL combine uh, there's one other guy I want to mention along those lines Joey Fisher out of Shepherd he played at a D2 school at his pro day he ran a 4.9 which if he would have been in the combine that would have led it and he also had 40 bench press reps which was higher than Andrew Voorhees who even though he tore his ACL, he still had 38 reps. So Joey Fisher, really athletic, really strong. Maybe that's the direction the Bucs look at with a tackle. Maybe not necessarily him, but kind of someone in that archetype. Yeah, I I think you bring up a really good point there, which is that starting kind of with um, with Dewan Jones, would he be a fit for the Bucs' new offense? I, I don't think that he is, to be honest, for the points that you brought out. Jones is going to be a, a pretty good pass protector just because of his giant wingspan. Nobody's going to get by him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically it. He can engulf people, right? Uh, and then when they try and, like, get into his chest, get in close to him, he's got this really great snatch um, technique, and he puts him on the ground. So, But as a run blocker, he's really – his frame is designed more for a gap or power scheme. I don't see him getting out in space really well and, and – leading a, a wide zone attack, right? Um, I, I think that his running back would end up out in front of him or he'd have trouble getting to his landmarks on time. Um, so that does leave it, you know, kind of back to potentially the Bucks could be saying, we've got to get one of these top four because after Dewan, the, there's a pretty stark fall off to the next guys. The, the next tier are all developmental guys. Um, you're talking about guys like Nick Saldaveri, uh, Blake Freeland, I'm trying to think uh, some of the other guys that I, I wrote about, Carter Warren out of Pittsburgh, um, Braden Daniels out of Utah. I mean, guys who have some traits, but they can't step into a starting position right away, at least not in my opinion, and I think for most most people as well. And even like one of my draft crushes, Jalen um, Duncan, Duncan out of Maryland. Yeah. yeah, I love him, but I love him as a developmental guy. So if the Bucks feel like that second tackle spot isn't solved by the likes of Luke Gedeke or Matt Filer or Robert Hainsey, I would look for them to target that very early in the draft and, and really 
there's no guarantee that any of those top guys are going to be there at 50. Yeah, and that's a great point, mentioning developmental guys. The Bucks have enough guys to develop along the offensive line. Luke Gedeke, Robert Hainsey, there's still room to grow for many of the offensive linemen, but they need somebody to kind of separate themselves from that pack. And drafting a starter immediately, not having another guy of the same skill level that maybe wouldn't slide in day one. There's even been concerns with Anton Harrison. Maybe he's a little bit too raw. He was only a two-year starter, but the Bucks have to address it and they have to put in somebody. And whether that's Gedeke or Darnell Wright, or if they move Tristan Wirfs from the right to the left, they have to address one tackle position in the draft. And it'll probably be a guy that's an immediate starter compared to somebody to develop. Exactly. And then from there, let's just make the assumption, right, that that the Bucks do go with one of those tackles. Now, what we put in the uh, the Bucks best bets today for our offensive tackle preview, the best bet is most likely Anton Harrison because there's some question about – I don't think there's much question in that Paris Johnson's kind of the number one guy. And, again, for me, um, I'm just assuming that Skaronsky kind of ends up as a guard. But if you want to say Paris Johnson and, and Skaronsky kind of 1A, 1B for the tackle position, most likely off the board by 19. Um, there is, I think, some debate in the draft community over who that number three guy is, right? Um, I think early in the draft process, it was assumed it was Broderick Jones, who's got all the physical talent in the world, just doesn't have many starts under his belt. I want to say 19 for his career um, at Georgia. So a lot of development that needs to be done with him, younger player still, um, but all the tools are there. And then really recently, you see a guy like Darnell Wright, who we've been talking about for quite a while, right? Um, I think we had him in one of our Peter Report mock drafts. I want to say it was, I, I, it might have been 2.0, maybe 3.0. Um, and he's been steadily climbing the charts. People are really getting to see his tape. If you have a chance to go back and watch Tennessee versus Alabama, yeah, put on a clinic against Will Anderson. It was absolutely phenomenal. Some of the most fun tape I've watched this draft season was just him just handling it. And that's kind of put him into this, well, maybe he goes ahead of Broderick Jones, right? Um, I haven't really seen Anton Harrison get any type of pub moving ahead of any of those guys. So there's a good chance that Harrison's going to be there at 19. And that's a part of the reason why we targeted him as our early rounds, best bet. Um, let's just assume that, that the bucks do go with him at 19. I think let's play around with the offensive line. So if Harrison gets chosen, do we think Worf stays at right tackle? I would say so. Yeah. Okay. And we know Jensen's kind of locked in at the center, correct? Yep. All right. So now what do you think the Bucks do at each of the respective guard positions? We got a few different people who could potentially fill. You got last year's left starter at left guard to begin the season, which is again your boy, Luke Yedeke. Uh, you've got the guy who finished last year as the left guard starter. You got Nick Leverett, who recently signed his restricted free agent tender offer. You've got last year's starting center, Robert Hainsey, who probably look the best of the three of them over the course of the season. And you've got Filer. And then you've got Aaron Stinney, who you mentioned at the top of the show. Five guys, two spots. How do you think it shakes out? So it's actually funny you bring that up 
I made three little ch depth charts, and I have one of the lineup now. Okay. If they just stuck with it, didn't draft any tackles. If they drafted right, and if they drafted Harrison. So is this, this is kind of what I made. Is this a visual able to put up, or you're just going to walk me through it? Walk I'm just going to walk you through it. Okay, yeah. all right, let's go. So if they draft Harrison, you have Harrison at left tackle. I really like the play of Nick Leverett last season uh, at left guard after he took over in week eight for Luke Gettigy. So okay. I would slide him there. At center, you have Ryan Jensen coming sure. back from injury. Yep. Right guard, I like Robert Hainsey there. Okay. And I feel like it'll either come down to him or Aaron Stinney. Okay. And at right tackle, obviously, Tristan Wirfs. And then you also have some good depth. You would have Luke Gettigy still learning, still developing. To becoming that great player that we know he's going to be, right? Okay. <laughs> and then uh, Matt Filer, he would be the depth depth tackle at either left or right tackle, and then yeah. filling in at guard as needed. Swing offensive lineman. It's yeah. interesting because the one thing that I would say, how how much credence have you given to the the draft capital that the Bucks sunk into Gedeki last year? Not only was he a second round pick, but Jason like traded up to draft him and it took them six weeks right six six and a half weeks something like that for them to finally kind of shut down the experiment during a what was supposed to be a you know a super bowl run brady's last hurrah it took them that long to make that decision last year this year i think while the team is, is you know they're saying all the, the right things about like they're still want to be very competitive they still feel like they can and i don't necessarily doubt that in a down nfc south do you think that they just kind of give up on the Luke Gedeke experience and just take that draft capital as a sunk cost? It is an experience, and that's a dilemma for the Bucks and Jason Light and Todd Bowles to consider because they put a second-round pick into Luke Gedeke, maybe not expecting him to start left guard right away, but yeah. at least compete. And by the middle of the season, if Aaron Stinney was struggling – maybe slide him in there. And the Stinney injury, I feel like, really put a wrench in the team's plans, and it kind of forced their hand into inserting Luke Gedeke right from the start. And I don't know if you feel the same or... So so I know Aaron Stinney is a fan favorite because he, yeah. he absolutely stepped up in a crucial situation down the stretch for the Bucks 2020 Super Bowl run, right? Just kind of filled in for Alex Kappa after he broke his leg. And, um, and was able to help them get that ring. From what I saw and was hearing, I don't know if Stinney was not even a, a lock to make to, to be a starter last year before he got hurt. I don't even know if he was necessarily a lock to make the roster, to be completely honest with you. So I don't know if the Bucks are, are that high on, on Stinney, right? I think that they like that he can compete, that, you know, he could be in the mix, right? And then the other question that I have based on that depth chart that you just said, in that scenario, who's your backup center? Because you've got I, easy starting I, at guard, right? Yeah. So the backup at the moment would be somebody like John Mulchin, who was on the team last year. And then maybe having Hainsey as, like, the emergency guy and – uh, if Jensen were to get hurt, slide him there. Put somebody like Matt Filer in at right guard. It's a lot of shuffling. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll, I'll. You know, this is off the top of my head, right? 
and let's see if the fans can come at me. Now, this is not necessarily a what I would do. This is more me trying to parse out what I think the Bucks might do, right? I think the Bucks want to get Gedeke back to the right side, all right? Um, it, it wasn't so much him just being a guard that really hurt him last year. I think it was really he had trouble with that right-to-left transition. So in this hypothetical, Bucks take Anton Harrison, 19. He's your starting left tackle. Wirf stays on the right side. Jensen's at center. I think we're all kind of agreed there. I think the Bucks end up starting out the season with Gedeke at the right guard spot. I think Nick Leverett and Matt Filer end up duking it out for that left guard spot. I think Filer probably wins it. And then I think your backups are Hainsey at center, um, Leverett and Stinney kind of inside guys. And then there's still some questions as to who the backup tackle is. right? I think maybe Filer is your you know, that would be some movement there. If one of the tackles goes down, maybe he kicks outside to allow one of the better backups, which is more on, I think the strength and the depth there would be on the inside to allow Leverett to maybe, or Stinney to step into that starting role. So that's kind of the way that I, I look at it there. So. Yeah, and I kind of see Matt Filer being more of that Josh Wells type, where he's more of like a swing tackle and then could also like fill in the gaps where needed and kind of be that veteran presence on the team. And you're bringing up some comments. There's a lot of interesting comments here. So I want to get your take on this one. A wanting and uh, Al Bundy says one offensive guard more than offensive tackle. And so Peter Port's going to be breaking down some of the offensive guards tomorrow based on what you've seen. Is there anyone that stands out to you? Um, from the guard side, yeah, let me pull up my board real quick. I was doing a few guards earlier this morning. <clears throat> so, uh, I, I think you're kind of your top guys. We already talked about, for me, Scaronzi ends up as a guard on my big board. Then, uh, Osiris Torrance and Steve Avila are pretty close to each other in kind of that second tier. One guy I really, really like, now he played tackle at Alabama. But again, it's somebody who I see kicking to the inside um, at the NFL level, and that's Tyler Steen. You know, I really, really like Steen's tape. Um, 6'6", 321 pounds. So he's really got a lot of girth to him. He's pretty athletic for his size. He's got good leg drive and foot movement in the run game, quick feet off the line. And the interesting thing there is if the Bucks were to say go with Steen, who would probably be more of a second or third round, maybe even a third round pick, he's got that tackle guard flexibility, right? Where he projects more to be more towards a guard at the NFL level, but he's got tackle experience. So the Bucks could use him again as they're shuffling all of these pieces um, that he may, you know, in the wash, if he were the, if he were picked by the Bucks, maybe he would end up at tackle. So um, he was one that I really liked. And then I'm not done with my guards yet. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, McClendon Curtis out of Chattanooga. Uh, I think he's got the temperament that the Bucks really like. Ideal size, nasty demeanor. He's a finisher. He absorbs contact from bull rushes really well, and he can re-anchor. He's got good targeting on his pulls, and I think he moves well, which would mean that he can um, potentially function in that you know kind of outside zone, wide zone type of offense. Um, and then Andrew Voorhees out of USC was another guy who I really liked. 
plays with a wide base, passes off stunts well, he communicates, he's got a strong latch, pulls well, got good leg drive, a finisher mentality, which is something I really look for because that seems to be something that the Bucks and Jason Light uh, really enjoy. So those were some of the guys that kind of popped up, um, popped up for me, you know, kind of jumped off out of the off the tape and where I may have them a little bit higher than consensus. Those are all intriguing options at the guard position. Uh, one other one I want to throw out there, Cody Mock out of North Dakota State. Yeah, yeah. Cody, again, another guy who played tackle um, in college, probably projects to the inside a little bit more. Mock's interesting, and I know he's kind of a favorite for a lot of Bucks fans because he, he fills in the box in terms of the look of a guy that, that Jason Light kind of goes for. It's more of a small school kind of player. Got the missing tooth. He's got the long yeah. red hair, kind of a Coke Keith look, a, a Ryan Jensen type look. Um, I'm not as in love with him as I think a lot of people are. I I don't know if he's going to really shake out as a starter at the NFL level, and, and that's regardless of of, um, of position. And I think I saw Al Bundy. He had asked if one of the guys I was talking about was more of a tackle. So you know that's one of the things with draft analysis that that. You know, it becomes a little bit more of an art than a science. Is to play left, to play tackle at the NFL level. There's a lot of things that you've got to have, uh, or or should have, and so and one of them is arm length. So a lot of these guys, maybe the arm length or maybe their body type, projects more towards the inside. So where they play tackle in college, they probably won't be as successful as a tackle um, at the NFL level. So there's a good chance that they move inside to guard. You've seen that with the Bucks a lot, right? So you look at some of the more successful linemen that the Bucks have had, right? Um, uh, Ali Marpet was a tackle at college, right? Uh, Ryan Jensen played tackle in college before moving to the pros, and the Ravens kind of shuffled him between guard and center before he finally settled into that center position and, and signed with the Bucks. Um, we talked about Luke Gedeke, right? Gedeke was a tackle before moving to guard. Um, so there's there's a little bit of that, you know. Uh, I think somebody had mentioned Matthew Bergeron earlier. I see Bergeron more as a guard. There's a good chance that he could go back and forth, you know. And I don't think his position is necessarily solidified at the next level. Um, but for me, when I look at Bergeron, I think that's the most successful version of him is as a guard at the next level, not necessarily as a tackle. Not that he can't play tackle, but I think he can, he'll be better as a guard. And. To kind of circle back on Mock, you mentioned with the the two missing front teeth and kind of the red hair. One evaluator, I wrote this down, he, a hockey player on the turf. That's kind of what he reminds me of and just based yeah. on the looks of him. But he barely cracks 300 pounds. And Robert Hainsey, when he was drafted, I believe he was kind of around the same point, like 302 pounds. But Mock is lean at 6'6". And that can kind of be a good and bad thing. Now, he looks the part in being athletic enough. We saw that on display during the Senior Bowl. But would he be able to face the tougher, heavier defensive lineman at the next level? That is a concern. And you mentioned also uh, Andrew Voorhees out of USC. Obviously, with the ACL injury, he won't be playing probably this season. But if the Bucks could get him, get him on day three, he was a guy a lot of uh, kind of like mock drafts, they showed him in the second round. So if the Bucks could snag a maybe fifth, sixth round, kind of redshirt him. He has a lot of college experience. He was a five-year starter uh, at USC. And then 
brought up Joey Fisher before. 32-inch arms. He's already 25. Probably at the next level, kind of talking about more of an art than a science. He looks the part more of a guard than a, than a tackle, but he's athletic enough to play there. And then one other guy I had down was North Carolina State's Chandler Zavala. Yep. Who, he's been really impressive, like on his film. He, he runs a 5-2-40, so maybe not the quickest guy, but the if, big if thing you want to say something. Zavala, there, there's a huge red flag with him in terms of injury, right? Yeah. Um, and, and the tape is fantastic. I love Zavala. Uh, I've got him with a third-round grade, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean I think he'll be taken in the third round. Let's see where I've got him on my big board. Uh, I've got him... 65th on my big board which would put him right at the back end of the third of the second round right i love his tape but there's a huge medical red flag and that's something that we you know public we don't get to know where he's at in that process and i think it's a back injury too which is super super concerning so where he goes i think is going to be a huge reflection of how his medical shook out with uh with nfl teams has a good story though, going from a zero star recruit and kind of playing at a smaller school. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, already being late in the second round, like projection, a lot of analysts have him in like the third round. So definitely an option with the Bucks draft a guard that early after their investment on Gattaca last year, when tackles more of a priority, that's another question. Yeah, huge one. So um, it'll be interesting how it all shakes out were there any guard prospects that because i believe you've been working on our guard write-up is that correct yeah so any that really stood out to you that are guys that like your guys definitely peter skaronsky out of northwestern (laughs) but he's probably not gonna be on the board (laughs) yeah but he's probably not an option for the team and he's your guy and everyone else's guy (laughs) yeah but needing a don't roast me too hard. <laughs> yeah, Skaronsky's tape is phenomenal. So I think yeah. I saw something on Twitter the other day when um, I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was Avila. I can't remember. Thought I saw something really, really cool. It was like, now I must have been Avila for TCU when they were down to Georgia in the national championship. It was like sixty-five to seven. Yeah. And he would he was still trying to drive guys through the ground. There was no yeah. give up in him. So. But yeah, Skronsky's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, definitely Avila from TCU, as you mentioned. Really like his tape. And I like this point here about um, Jason Light not being able or not being afraid to draft small school guys like Ali Marpet and Alex Kappa. We brought up Cody Mock. I personally like Cody Mock. And if he puts on more weight at the next level, he has a frame for it to maybe add another 10, 20 pounds. But going on NFL.com, they compared him to Alex Kappa, which I thought was really interesting. There you go. And like their player analysis, but more of just like a starter, like a good starter, but not somebody that's maybe has a higher ceiling than some of the other prospects. Osiris Torrance out of Florida. He he had really good tape this year, but yep. um, at the next level, one concern with him is his lateral quickness. And again, playing in a wide zone scheme, you need athletic guards. That's why I also really like Joey Fisher 
And I think maybe in the fifth or sixth round, if they can get a guy like him to maybe compete for a guard, maybe not necessarily start right away, but those are just a few names. And we kind of mentioned like Zavala, he's out there. It's not the deepest guard class. There's not like a ton of blue chip guys, but there's some intriguing names in there. Yeah, I'm going to have to go look at Joey Fisher. He, he, I have not had a chance to look at him, but you've got me super excited about him. So he's probably going to go to the top of the list of guys I still need to scout. How many players at this point? It's hard to find tape of Division Two guys because both him it, and when we were at uh, the Senior Bowl at Tyson Badgen, there's like a couple like clips here and there, but it's it's hard to really evaluate them fully like some of the other guys. Yeah, I'm at 172 guys. What school is Fisher out of? Shepherd. Shepherd. If I have some, I'll send it your way. So, um, so yeah, it, it is very interesting. Do you see the Bucks potentially trying to still fill out this offensive line room with some free agents that are still out there? I think the signing of Matt Filer kind of addressed enough free agent needs if that makes sense just kind of mm-hmm. getting a swing tackle depth guy but they have a lot of names on the roster that need to prove themselves and take the next level and that only comes with experience so in terms of adding somebody maybe during training camp possibly but not really do you i don't uh and what i think that signals is that they're pretty high on a guy like brandon walton to be a backup tackle right um, they allowed, why is his name escaping me? Um, last year's swing tackle, Josh Wells. How do I forget a guy named Josh? Right? Seriously. Come on. Get it together, Capo. Um, Josh Wells, they allowed him to, to sign elsewhere in free agency. And I, you know, again, if they address tackle early in the draft, which we, I expect them to do, um, it would still leave them needing potentially, you know, backup tackles and I think that they the Bucks feel very comfortable that Brandon Walton can be that guy that he's developing into that guy yeah and I want to throw one other scenario at you so I also made the depth chart with Darnell Wright if he gets drafted maybe kind of go over that so if the Bucks were to draft Darnell Wright in the first round at number 19 or if they trade up earlier the line projects Worfs moving over from right tackle to left tackle. Makes sense. Again, you have Nick Leverett, maybe Luke Gedeke, Robert Hainsey, a lot of different guards. I still say Nick Leverett at uh, left guard. Yep. Ryan Jensen. Still would say Robert Hainsey at right guard, and then you have Wright at right tackle. Kind of sounds sounds right. I don't know, all the wordplay there. But if that were the offensive line, if Wright's the top option, where do you think the Bucks' offensive line would rank in the NFL? Do you think they have an above-average offensive line with somebody like him? Worfs at left, right at right, Hainsey at right guard, Leverett at left guard, Jensen at center. I don't, and here for a few reasons. Out of those five, who are you banking to be absolutely 100%, no doubt, above average to elite? You would hope worse would at least be above average. I said, who are you banking on? Yeah, but hope hope isn't banking. 
there is a lot of doubt at each position. As good as Tristan Wirfs is, uh, talking with Luke Gedeke at the end of the season, when he made the switch from right tackle to left guard, like just going from side to side, you have to learn all the schemes and formations, kind of like throwing a football from your right hand to your left hand. And there is an adjustment there. As yep. good of a player as Wirfs is. Yep. So so you, you've got at least a small question mark with Wirfs, right? Leverett played very well for the circumstances at left guard. I would say he played around average guard. Okay. Ryan Jensen's coming off of a catastrophic knee injury. He's on the wrong side at 30. Hainsey would be making his second position switch in four years, right? And then you've got Darnell Wright, who's a rookie. And, and here's the one thing that I think Bucks fans really need to consider. The NFL has been, like, Tristan Wirfs spoiled Bucks fans, right? It is not normal for a guy to walk in as a rookie offensive tackle and just immediately start whooping up, right? There have been two guys who have really done it right off the bat in the last few years, three by the end of their rookie season. So you're talking about Wirfs. You're talking about um, Rashawn. Slater from the chart. Yeah. L.A., and then um, Penny Sewell, right, yep. uh, in Detroit. And, and even he needed a few weeks because he was doing a, a, a side swap. But the vast majority of rookie offensive linemen struggle year one. So whether it's Wright, whether it's Harrison, Broderick Jones, whoever, there's a good chance that year one you're hoping to see flashes of talent, flashes of consistency, say, in a half of a game, but – the expectation should be that this guy, he's he's going to take his, his licks, right, for the first year, and he's going to learn. And by year two, you're hoping that, all right, now this guy's consistently playing average to above average. So I, unless the scheme is just so unbelievably incredible that it just elevates every player on the Bucks' offensive line, I don't see it being a strength. I don't see it being a top half of the league offensive line. You hope it's 20th you know, or so, and it's just passable in year one. And then that some of these guys grow into those roles, and it continues to improve in 2024 and beyond. Now, I asked you who you're going to bank on, right? I think there's someone that Bucks fans can bank on, don't you? Yeah, definitely. And this year that would be our friends over at Amuni Financial at Amuni Financial we help you live in the now congratulations we're so happy thank you. you thank you and even though the now may feel very different you still need to plan for the future how's retirement treating you oh just fantastic I know I say it all the time but you really got to come up to Colorado let's do it all right yeah we can help you develop that plan to keep you on track so you can still prepare for tomorrow today Amuni Financial. Plan ahead, stay ahead. Managing your family's wealth means more to Immuni Financial than simply allocating your assets. It means legacy planning, brokerage and advisory services, retirement accounts, college savings accounts, and insurance services. With 40 years of experience, let Immuni Financial help you plan ahead and stay ahead. Call Immuni Financial at 800-868-6864. 
or visit immuni.com. And with the draft being in Kansas City next week, Colorado really is the best place to go because you know that the airport won't be clogged up with all the NFL draft fans trying to get into the draft at Kansas City. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, there was one other comment I wanted to touch on before we can kind of go over some more. This yep. one from Nolan is interesting. So how does signing Ryan Neal affect the Bucks' flexibility to draft an offensive lineman in the first three rounds? And I think that's interesting because there was a lot of discussion at safety, yep. uh, getting a safety with number 19, and especially with Brian Branch. Yep. And getting Branch would mean, obviously, Winfield, the coach Bowles has said, would be moving back to safety. So drafting Brian ba- Brian Branch and kind of putting him at the nickel or slot corner position. What do you think that safety or kind of that position is still something the Bucks could address? Because there's still some intriguing guys. And I know you made a big board of kind of some of the top corners. And then you have safeties. Uh Sidney Brown, he's one of the top options out there. What are your thoughts? So I think what the Ryan Neal signing effectively does is it takes the traditional safety role and doesn't make it as much of a this year priority need, right? Now that's not to say that the Bucks aren't still missing a starter on defense. And if you talk with Todd Bowles, you talk with Jason Light, nickel is a starting role in this Bucks defense. They very much consider it as such. So Neil can play up top. He's got some some nickel versatility, but what I I think this does is it it deprioritizes that safety position where it's not as likely to be a need at 19. And when you look at the nickel options in this draft, you can find quite a few of those throughout day two and even into early day three. Quality players who can play the nickel at the NFL level. As we spoke about earlier, that's not necessarily the case at offensive tackle. So I think what you're going to find is at 19, you're going to have, again, at least one really good tackle still on the board. Brian Branch most likely will still be on the board. And then the Bucks have to make a decision. Is Branch so much more talented than whoever is there at, for offensive tackle that he's worth the drop-off from that top tier in tackle to the second tier? Again, I can only speak for myself. I don't think that he's worth it. When you look at the drop-off between Branch and that next tier of safety nickel kind of guys, I think there's really good ones. Um, Pull up my list here. Um, So guys like uh, Clark Phillips out of Utah, DJ Turner out of Michigan, Jacorian Quan Bennett out of Maryland. Um, Those would all be corners. Uh, You get a little bit further into the draft. Someone like Garrett Williams out of Syracuse who's coming off of an injury, so he could be a potentially like a sleeper. Um, or uh, Trevius, I'm never going to get his name right. Hodges Thomason. Right, right. Real, real small guy out of TCU, but with some great tape. Um, and then looking at the safety position, other guys who could potentially play the nickel, um, uh, City Brown, you know, I think uh, someone like. Uh, um, he was top 30 visit for the Bucks. He technically played linebacker at Sacramento State, but uh, Marte Mappa, who I think can play overhang safety and even some slot as well. So uh, Daniel Scott out of, I'm sorry, Kayvon Merriweather out of Iowa. Those are all guys 
and, and Brandon Hill out of Pitt, um, who could play the nickel that you could get later and, and could probably step into kind of a quasi-starting role for the Bucks. So um, I think that's kind of – the Bucks did a great job for the most part of rounding out their roster where they have somebody for every position already there, with the exception of, again, I think tackle, right? I don't think they have two starting tackles that they're ready to just say we're – we're good, we're locked in here. But at every other position, I think they've got at least some type of plan. And that's why I think, again, the signing of Neil um, makes it even more likely that the Bucks can tackle in the, uh, in the first round. Would you say so far, uh, there's kind of different takes out there. Th- this might be a topic for another day, but just kind of like a general overview. Do you think the Bucks have had like a secretly good off season so far, kind of addressing like the bigger positions, but also doing it affordably because they've had to operate with such minimal cap space and being able to bring in a starting caliber quarterback like Baker Mayfield, yep. uh, quality option at running back and chase Edmonds. If he rebounds, you have Matt Filer for his experience getting him. I think it was reported today at two and a half million, not that bad. And then, getting a new kicker. Jason Light doesn't have to worry about getting another kicker. So yeah, I saw a comment earlier saying no kickers until the sixth round. Man, they got a yeah. fantastic punter in the fourth. Let's try a kicker in the third. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I think for the resources that the Bucks had, I think they had a low-key, solid off-season off so to date, right? I think each of the signings, there is a path to it being a very successful move. And, and it's not a very narrow path with each of those players. Matt Filer has been a serviceable guard for the last few years. Baker Mayfield is, what, just a couple years removed from having one of the best seasons, you know, quarterback seasons of, I think it was, what, 2020, 2020 right? Got injured in 2021, then went to Carolina and LA uh, in 2022. And you're putting pairing Baker with the system that you operated best under, um, and he's now, you know, theoretically, the injury isn't going to, to have that kind of effect on him. Um, somebody like Ryan Neal, he had one of the better safety seasons last year uh, um, based on PFF's grading system. So each one of these moves, you can see, you, it's fairly evident to see what did the Bucks see in them, what's the path to success. And that's really all you can ask for in free agency, especially given the limited funds that they have. It was complementing the roster that they had with smaller deals that aren't going to sink the ship if they don't pan out. So you've minimized the risk. You've provided a potential you know, high reward on almost all of them. That's what you want to do in free agency. And it's given them, again, with the exception of that tackle position, the freedom to really let their board play out. And I think that's really big. Um, and we'll kind of call it here. Um, but I think that's really big for what I've seen in the comments, which is a lot of people saying trade down, trade down, trade down. In theory, I'm a big trade or trade back guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, from from an analytical standpoint, trading back gives you a shotgun approach. You don't have to be a sniper where one bullet, you've got one chance to make the right call. You move back, you pick up more assets, and you take a, a shotgun approach to the draft which is we're going to bring in a lot of guys and hope some of them pan out. I have a feeling that this year's, because of the way this year's draft is, 
that at least in the first round, you're going to see a lot less trades. And it's not because teams aren't going to want to trade back. I think a lot of teams are going to want to trade back. A ton of teams are going to want yeah. to trade back. I don't know if they're going to be able to find too many trade partners who want to move up. And for that reason, I think that you're going to see um, fewer trades, right? Uh, at least in the first round. Maybe as you get into the second and the third day, um, you maybe see more. You've also seen a trend in the NFL where teams are less likely to give up future picks unless it's for one of those premium top five picks to get that quarterback. I think a lot of teams are starting to value their future picks more, which I think makes those day two and day three trades a little less likely. It's just a feeling I have. I could be way off base, but that is kind of the way I read the room right now. And it kind of goes back to your point on there not being a lot of blue chip prospects this year. Outside of maybe the top 10, you have obviously the quarterbacks. They could go one through four. Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Peter Skaronsky, Skronsky could throw him in there. And then maybe like Devin Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez. Besides that, though, there's more question marks than, say, surefire impact starters a la Tristan Wirfs coming in and maybe being a pro bowler. And so it might be more difficult, especially having conversations that Bijan Robinson could go really high when the value isn't there. I think kind of speaks to how the draft class is being perceived. Yep. I think um, the reason the Eagles brought him in, they've got two picks in the first round, right? I think, um, and, and I don't think they would take him at 10, which is their first pick. No. Um, I think they're potentially targeting him for their second. Pick. I think you brought up a good point in terms of there aren't many blue chip guys. I've got four, four blue chip players on my board, um, and I only have 13 guys with a first round grade. And, and for me, it's not who do I think is going to go in the first round or who do I think are the top 32 players. For me, it's who do I think can immediately step onto a field and be, be an average to above average player or better. Uh, my four blue chip guys are Bijan, number one, Will Anderson, two, Jalen Carter, three, and Devon Witherspoon. I love Witherspoon's tape. He's amazing. Yeah. So, um, so you're absolutely right. And when that happens, when you don't have that uh, a robust, clear top tier, it's less likely outside of quarterback, right? Outside of the quarterback position, because teams are always looking for that quarterback. Um, it's less likely you're going to see a lot of those trade-ups. Definitely. And with the draft a week away, uh, be sure to check out the Pewter Report live draft show. We're going to be spending, going into next week, a lot more time breaking down the NFL draft, some of the prospects here pictured, other prospects doing more mock drafts and analysis round by round. So be sure to check it out April 27th through the 29th. And then also we have oh, uh, the pewterreport.com. You can check check us out there as well as our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube for 24-7 consistent Bucks analysis and different feedback there, providing you the inside scoop. So for myself and Mr. Josh Capo, thanks for coming on. This is the end of our Thursday podcast. Be sure to check us out on Monday where we'll again be having a Peter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. And yeah, that's it, Josh. <laughs> See you How'd later. I do? Have, well, I think you did a fantastic job for your first time. So 
I think normally how we kind of end these is we say that this has been another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. And of course, we always give the deuces Antoine Winfield Jr. style. And we say out. Out.